0: This is State of Demand Gen. Hey everyone, it's Chris Walker and welcome back to the State of Demand Gen podcast. If you haven't heard already, we are back for season two of Demand Gen Live featuring Megan Bowen at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 Pacific. We are leaning in hard to the AMA style, so what that means is that we will set the floor with a couple key topics, timely, relevant experiments that we literally just ran this morning that we figured something out that we can share with you and then we'll transition to the AMA style so you get on you ask your question a lot of other people demand marketers salespeople, are on there asking questions you can learn a lot get to meet people build a little community maybe get a new job whatever you want to accomplish we're doing it in demand and live so we'd highly encourage you to check it out and now to this episode first let's talk about why other people don't do it (laughs) And so other people don't post videos on LinkedIn at the frequency that I do or at all because they don't get as many views because the metrics are more important than the outcome. Um, And I know from experience, no data to back this. I don't think that most people, I don't need data to make my own decisions for my business. And so the data is clear to me that when you post video more frequently, you get better business results. And so um, that's one, is that people just don't do it because they would rather get 40,000 views on a text post than 4,000 views on a video post um, because the, the views make them feel good. And the uh, the way that I create the videos is by doing stuff like this, usually like free consulting, our hour to 90-minute um, Tuesday night zoom that I do with Katana Denardi with live Q and a for marketers around the world um, podcasts, different things like that. We create a long form video, we chop it up and then we post it on LinkedIn. The last thing is that I'm fully committed to it. And I say this a lot um, is that most people are not, and you're not, you're just, if you're, if you're doing a million different things and LinkedIn is just one little thing on the side over here, you're probably not going to get the results that you're looking for. And so just purely based on commitment to the channel and understanding it better than anyone else and executing better than anyone else on it is why I've been able to get the success I have.
1: And now it's probably not always been like this, I guess, right? I mean, Can you fill us in on, like, how you started out in marketing and, like, you know, the struggles that you went through to arrive at such, like, clarity, like you describe it now?
0: Absolutely. So, um, early on in my marketing career, I think I've had four or five key checkpoints where they were major advancements in my career. The first one was in 2014 when I went and started talking to a ton of customers Mm -hmm. when I worked in house and I learned how much value it, it created to actually understand people before you started marketing to them. Most marketers that are downstream or demand gen don't do that. The next one that happened was that in 2000, probably around the same time, actually 2014, 2015, I built several e-commerce stores in my bedroom, selling things on Shopify and Instagram and Amazon, running media dollars with my own money, buying inventory with my own money and then needing to sell it in order to pay my rent um, and learned how to run profitable advertisements, which most marketers do not know how to do. Most marketers get a hundred thousand dollar to multi million dollar budget from their employer and spend it like it's monopoly money. And so that was a, another key one. The third one was in 2016, 2015, 2016, when I deeply um, understood how to execute Facebook ads to make B2B business results happen. Um, and during that time, I struggled a lot to communicate to executives why spending $100,000 a month on uh, Facebook ads was better than having four SDRs or better than having another sales rep or better than building another trade show booth. And so that was a, a really interesting point in my career where in order to continue to move forward in the things that I want, I needed to figure out how to frame it to an ex- a sales focused executive about why this was a better way to generate sales. And so that was a, that was a huge, a huge moment for me and for you. And then there was a lot of resistance. It was a interesting time for me. And four years later, I still have the same conversations with sales focused executives about how this stuff doesn't work. Sure. And I've been doing it for four years and I know that it works. Um, so that was, that was a big one. Um, and then, uh, And then finally, when I started my own company, um, and needed to figure out, I had been using a lot of paid channels predominantly, um, and had built, you know, selling stuff on Instagram, had built Instagram channels, started moving to LinkedIn, um, started first with commenting and engaging, got several clients just purely based on the awareness generated by my comments. Like it's unbelievable, um, and then and then had one post that I made where it was the first time that it was like, woof, like I'm normally getting three, four, seven likes on a text post. Uh-huh. Um, it must have had someone that had a a level of engagement engage with it. it's I saw it, and then I was like, boom, this is what we're doing, like forget. we're not hiring sales reps. We're not sending outbound emails. We're not doing sequences. We're doing this, um, and got 100% committed to, to figuring out how to do that the best. And my background in digital social content certainly helps. Like I didn't just pop out of nowhere and say, yeah, let's make videos for LinkedIn. I've been doing this for five or six years. It just, the LinkedIn became the channel that worked for me.
1: So let's, Let's unwrap some of those that you um, just mentioned some of the lessons. You started out with customer research, you know being like an epiphany in your in your job, and I still find it fascinating how, how infant um, this idea still is in, in, in many marketing departments can you Can you talk about like what customer research means when we talk about marketing and then also like how the process looks like and if if you would have to do an 80 20 like what what can you recommend the marketer today i've never done market research before like customer research before Mm -hmm. um what what do you recommend
0: so i think uh i think a lot of marketers pretend like they're doing customer research when they send an nps once a year or they send a market research survey to their customers so they can build an ebook or that they listen to a couple recorded sales calls on gong and pretend like they learned something or when they ask their sales reps for feedback about what feature is selling best. Those are all pretending. Those are all pretend ways of doing Customer research as a marketer, the true way to do customer research is go to the source. It's called primary market research, not secondary market research through somebody else. And so, primary market research, there's a lot of different ways that you can slice it. I have a specific approach that I like. Um, This is like a 3.0 strategy, so people can work backwards and figure out what their 1.0 would be. But for me, the first step that I'm going to take is I'm going to talk to somewhere between five and 10 thought leaders, people that I think lead this, the space. The next thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to 10 of our, I'm going to segment our customers to determine what firmographic or whatever type of things you need to use to segment your customers usage, anything. And I'm going to go and talk to 10 of the people that fit in this. I'm going to talk to 10 of each segment. Usually there's going to be three or five segments. I'm going to go. And ideally you actually go and see them. Um, And then I'm going to talk and I'm going to learn with no open-ended agenda. I have some things that I want to learn, but it's 100% curious. The next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to people that do not use our product. Mm -hmm. And inside of all those different segments and understand what the gaps are between the people that don't and the people that do. Um, The next thing is that I'm going to synthesize all of those learnings and I'm probably going to, to create a more scaled um, market research survey that happens over the internet um, that is not divided between customers and not. It's 100% randomized um, to understand more deeply about how people are buying technologies or what they choose, mainly for that mechanism, to be honest, to prove to executives that they should be doing something different. I did that in 2016. It was one of the main ways that I figured out how to get more money to do the things that I believed in that were getting results is by when, when you send out a survey to 600 of your ideal customers and they respond and they say, the first thing that I do when I'm evaluating new technology is I look online. Mm-hmm. The second thing that I do is I call a friend or a colleague that I know has experience with a similar product. The third thing that I do is talk to a sales rep and you can easily paint a picture with how our go-to-market strategy was completely misaligned with how someone wanted to buy something. Um, and so, and then the next, another question just for for sake of data that illuminated a lot of things for people is how many people use Facebook to um, understand medical technology. This is in 2016 when I was selling to hospitals mm-hmm. and 70% of people said they use it to understand the next, the next one was YouTube at 65%. The last one was LinkedIn at 60%. And so like, there you go. Like then mm-hmm. people are using these things to learn. Um, underneath the, a, a lot of those things was visit someone's trade show booth. And so like just by talking to customers, it was clear to both me and I was able to demonstrate it to executives about what the things that we're doing and how they don't match with what buyers want.
1: So I think, this ties in nicely with something that i saw you talking on linkedin a lot about which is this notion of how devastating it can be for a marketing team to focus solely on you know the amount of leads that you generate and not actually having a profile um, or an ICP if you want um, or an ideal, ideal customer profile defined and actually measuring against like okay, how many of this specific lead category do I actually acquire so if I am because i 've seen this happening a lot, and so if let's say i am I just started at Um, a mid-size startup, uh, you know, series B, uh, just raised. I come in and none of what we just talked about has ever been done. Uh, There was no customer research um, and marketing is completely uh, incentivized on the amount of leads. So, like, we covered some of the customer research initiatives that you would launch, like, but how do you turn the story from the amount of leads that I need to generate to like something that makes more sense? So what is that that makes more sense? And then how do you, how do you kind of turn the story um, so that you can actually shift your budget and your resources to, to that better thing?
0: So, as a marketer, I've been in this exact situation. The only difference in what the story that you painted and the one that I was in is that it was a seed, it was post seed, not series B. Okay. And so I get in there. The company is investing no money in product, has six SDRs and five account executives and one sales leader, no marketing headcount, has done no customer research. The sales is going after any segment that might fit their TAM has no focus on who would actually have the most affinity to buy has done no research in the CRM about which customers actually are buying stuff and when you when you go in there and segment it it's very clear and so i get in there right away forced to run performance marketing to get leads um, and the the when i realized this we built you know built a new website um, started running performance marketing, got 505 leads for less than six dollars each. Firmographically fit ICP, and the consensus from sales is that we don't want these leads. And so that there was two there was two core conclusions there. The first one for me is wow, I need to go and talk to customers about how to better position our product so they want it. Um, and the second thing is that. <laughs> It's only a lead if there's buying intent. And so like just because you have someone's email address and they firmographically fit your ICP does not mean that they're a lead. Does not mean that, that people from sales want to talk to them. And so I've, I've talked to a lot of marketers right now that are running LinkedIn conversational ads to and saying, hey, if you set up a demo, we'll give you a $250 gift card. And then they wonder why their sales team and then they get a hundred leads and they wonder why later their sales team comes back and says, we don't want to talk to these people. All right? No shit. Cause they're here for the gift card, not cause they want to buy something. And so, um, yeah. So anyway, got all those leads didn't work, started looking at, went out and did the customer research talked uh, broken, just like I told you, broken into three segments, visited thought leaders, and then visited people in all three segments. And I realized that the segment that the product was actually used in and actually got value and actually fit was only 20% of the TAM. And Mm -hmm. sales is over here saying, oh, this segment over here is 70% of the TAM, the market's huge, this is who we're gonna sell to. And I visited them. First off, we had four customers in that segment and all four of them used the product because one of the people that worked at the company was friends with our investor none of them actually really got value out of the product. And then you actually start to look and it's like, our SDRs are calling on all these people where the product isn't positioned the right way. They don't get value out of it. We're wasting a ton of time. And all over here, 20% of the market that really has value really sees value. We could position it if we went more focused and the company just chose not to narrow the positioning of the product in order to facilitate that. And so I, um, I, I always like to, more narrow is better. Like as I've, st- as I've started to go this before I was talking about marketing and as I've started to be marketing for B2B SaaS and then specifically in media and then specifically to this type of company and then specifically at this ACVs and at this sales cycle. And as you get more narrow, the content hits harder because it's more specific. Right. Um, and so that's, a uh, that is a real world example of doing market research, knowing what the, um, knowing what the right answer is, but also understanding that like, companies got to, got to continue, especially venture funded companies have got to continue to raise money. And so if they come back and they say, Oh, actually our TAM is only 20% of what we reported right. to you during our series. A we're gonna have to do a down round. It's just not going to work.
1: And so when you, when you talk about like, you know, having this conversation with sales because that's oftentimes something that is either avoided or or uh you know there is a clash like what what is your approach when you have to deal with a vp of sales and you know they're telling you like oh uh, the leads are shit but then the ceo tells you hey, you need to have this many leads. So, like, how do you bring the people to the table? Because in the end, um, everybody has kind of the same goal, right? Um, but they're not really talking about the same thing. So how, how do you facilitate that? I mean, you talked about data. You talked about customer voices. Like, how does it look like specifically, you know? Do you call a meeting? Do you have uh, set up the same metrics? Like, what's, what's going on?
0: So the, I'm laughing because this is funny, but the easiest answer on this is that you should have all of this figured out before you start working at that company.
1: Hmm.
0: And so like, and if there's, if there is any chance of misalignment, then get out. Because like, if you are a very talented marketer, you have a better place to work than struggling about why 2000 MQLs isn't the right metric that's just the tip of the iceberg. You're going to have that exact same scenario and other metrics and other executions until the end of time, because those people, it's going to be very hard to change their, their mindset as leaders in those types of companies. And so my best advice is find a place that's already aligned with, with the things that the things that you want to do and how you want to measure it. Um, if in lieu of that, there are a couple things that I've seen to be more successful than others. Um, the first one is just clear black and white data from customers. From customers, not not your opinion. Not in the CRM. Like they said this. Like it. It would be very. I, I know that a ton of people would be very. Um, that would scrutinize how much time I spend on my podcast and LinkedIn specifically on the podcast, right? Like, Oh, you're doing this much on a podcast. You have 1800 subscribers. You've been spending four hours a week on it or whatever you're doing. This is a waste of time. And then the data is, Oh, well, the last nine sales conversations we've had started with, I was listening to your podcast and right. And then you show them that type of stuff. And so clear data from customers, whether it was, I would prefer this instead of what you're doing right now, I look here and you're not doing it. I learn here. I wish you did this, and you're not whatever it is. Use customer true primary customer data to support your points of view. The second one is to just have a deep look about what's going on today. This is the this is by far the best one. I do it for for dozens of companies every year and show them that look. I know that you're spending $800,000 a year on LinkedIn ads to, to for ebook downloads because so, I, I can, I can, I, I'm in the ad platform. I can see how much you spent. I can see what you're doing. A majority of it's spent to do that. And because it is direct response email address capture, we can track both at the persona level and at the account level all the way through for the past 12 months about what happened. And so here's what we did. We got all of these different leads, we had SDRs follow up with them. 2% of them got through to opportunities. The 2% that got through to opportunities closed at 10%, but our normal SQ were in rates 25%. So it was actually even below average there. Out of all that $800,000 we spent, we got $100,000 in revenue. This was a waste of time. And it was a, not only a waste of money, it was a waste of our sales team's time. It was a waste of our, our marketing team's time that could be doing something better that's more customer focused. And so if we, if we, agree that we don't we don't need to be doing this we don't need to be spending eight hundred thousand dollars and investing all this time to close three thirty thousand dollar arr deals then what else could we be doing and that's where you get to insert the idea of what you could be doing now if we look over here the people that are that we're marketing to and are coming directly to us typically with last touch attribution organic search or direct traffic asking for a demo now, those ones are converting to opportunities at 55%. They are, the S, they're, you know, we're creating SQOs at 55%. We're winning those at 30%. The sales cycles are shorter than our outbound channel. Why don't we start to focus our marketing to assist mm-hmm. that conversion point, which has dramatically higher efficiency than what we're doing over here? Oh, but wait, our leads would go down 95%. And so, what are and I actually position this as a good thing. This is this is a good thing for so many reasons. the 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 core reason is that your sales team can do things that are actually more productive. Could actually innovate instead of doing making calls to all the leads that you're collecting that don't want to talk to them, that don't want to hear from them, that are not interested in buying something right now your, your AEs doing demos for people that win at such a lower rate than anything else. They're doing all these activities. So they can't create content. They can't conduct customer research. They can't do better, uh, account-based sales, whatever they want to do. There's so many other things that, that that function could be doing. The second piece of it is that if you eliminate all of those sales and efficiencies created through the MQL metric, you'd probably need less salespeople. Right. <laughs> and if you, if, and people, we're like, Oh my gosh, we're going to have less salespeople, whatever. But if you didn't need so many salespeople, here's what you could do. You could pay them better. You could hire more experienced people. You could retain more of them. You could do more things to support their growth and industry knowledge and sales, but you can't do that when you have twice as many as you, as you need and that you can afford. Um, and so I think that it's a good thing if companies were able to do that. If you could get to the same growth target with 30, 60% of the reps instead of of that, like, I think that's a, I think that's a good move for everyone. In addition, your customer acquisition cost goes way down.
1: Right. I think, first of all, the first thing you said is very practical advice, I think. Especially if you have some years... You belt that you, you know, practice marketing for a while, and you, you know, you think you're talented. Don't waste your time at companies where you, you know, need to convince everyone. I recently um, talked to Dave Gerhardt, which is a, um, a senior awesome. at Privy. Mm-hmm. He's awesome, and and he was actually saying that um, if, the C- if the CEO doesn't believe in marketing. Yeah. He would not start at that company at all. I agree
0: completely. It's an
1: uphill battle. It's an uphill battle, and that's so true. I mean, if you and if you are, you know, engaged in stakeholder management um, more than fifty percent of your time, that's that. I mean, that's the time you're not getting better at your craft, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and about the other thing that you said, I think that's vastly underrated. I mean, I had this experience myself where, um, you know, you were describing how you basically follow the money um, and basically, you know, see where it's actually flowing through, um, both on the cost side, but also on the revenue side. And then based on that, position your messaging, but also your product. And that's where I think um, a lot of value lies, as you described. The issue that I see oftentimes is Afterwards, even if you have the data, even if you um, have the the, uh, the qualitative data in terms of you know customer voices or customer quotes, uh, it's it very few companies have the discipline to afterwards adapt the product um, uh, down the line and actually focusing it on this new narrower. Um, target group i mean have Mm -hmm. have you seen that before as well and 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 how do you deal with that i mean let's say marketing and sales kind of gets it but then afterwards you know the product doesn't actually follow through
0: yeah and for for the sake of this i'm just going to keep it in like marketing within in the sense of positioning not in product development or r&d and things like that Mm -hmm. um and so Yes, it is incredibly hard for companies to narrow their positioning because it it feels like they're restricting who they can sell to. Um, and the funny thing is that the smart ones already know to do that. So like, it's just there, you're not going to convince the ones that won't and you don't need to convince the ones that already know. And that's just the way it is. Like I I really do believe that um that that's kind of the way that it works.
1: How, how how do I mean I think at the very beginning you, you talked a bit about like reporting and and um convincing you know management or executives of certain um activities. So what kind of metrics do you actually report up the chain to the executive um, board or i mean if you if you uh, you know consult with a client, what do you recommend them to actually report on
0: once we 've gone through two sales cycles so let 's pretend the company is a ninety day sales cycle so one hundred and eighty days in we 're po- reporting on customer acquisition cost inbound revenue, total revenue trending, and how it 's broken up by partner or channel or Mm -hmm. direct or marketing, um, pipeline or SQOs, however you want to qualified pipeline or SQOs, however you want to chalk it up, trending sales cycle length on inbound versus outbound trending Mm. win rate on inbound versus outbound trending business metrics. Like those are the things that actually matter. I am not reporting up to the CEO, how many likes there were on our latest LinkedIn post or whether our website traffic went down 10%. The volume metric of website traffic alone means absolutely nothing. If you want website traffic, we can spend money and we can drive people to it. And if you want to spend the least amount of money possible, we can drive a bunch of shit traffic there for 10 cents a click, if that's what you want. But the website, like the idea that because your website traffic goes from 80,000 a month to 40,000, 40,000 a month, that that is a bad thing. Just on that one point data point means absolutely nothing. It's like, Oh, okay. So our website traffic went down 50% mainly because we spent way less. Our targeting was way better, blah, 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 blah. And wait, we got way more demo requests. And so what actually what matters more is right. icp demo requests or website traffic um yeah
1: but, you know what happened to me was for example in a i mean a previous role was that we got started with um with kind of a podcast series where we um interviewed on a weekly basis we interviewed um, user researchers in that case and you know it it took almost a year and a lot of um, convincing and kind of pushing back until, you know, we could clearly see that you know something is going on there. No, I and deal and, with and, it every day. <laughs> and, and so, how do? You, yeah, because, you know, you are you, you just said which metrics you are reporting um, to executives. Like, how do you convince them? that this is actually worth doing you know there is the there is the a uh, performance based um marketing and then there is kind of the brand marketing bucket how do you how do you do that with the brand marketing bu- uh, bucket specifically like how what are the words you use and yeah
0: i don't spend any time convincing people to do what i believe in i just I just do it, and the yeah. people that are attracted to the way that we are currently marketing, or the company, they watch the m- companies that we're currently marketing for, or mm-hmm. interested in the results that we're talking about, will come and find us, right? Like the idea that I would go and chase around and try and convince a ton of exec. I know that most executives don't believe in this, mm-hmm. so why am I going? I, I know that the odds are not in my favor to go and chase people around and try and convince them of this, and so I don't. Um, And over time, more people through the the growth of our company and the success of our content and the success of the companies that we do work for, over time, people will start to realize that it works better. The second piece that, um, that we do because it's almost, it's essentially necessary is that our mix is not a hundred percent brand. Like we're running performance. We're running, If the company didn't industry report. We're going to, we're going to run it and they can put them in a nursery. They can do whatever they want to do. If they, if they're going to do a webinar, we'll certainly support that. If they're going to do a virtual event, we'll crush it and have the best CPL. Like those are like, we'll do those things. Um, we run experiments of like direct get a demo ads for mid to, to, I don't know, I guess, depending on how you want to say it, 6K to 50K ACV products, we're going to run get a demo ads and mm. collect 20 to 100 leads every six months and see what happens and track the data and make sure that we haven't missed anything and do it on different channels. Like We're still doing this stuff. I just know that over time, the brand piece wins like it just does and so Absolutely. I spend but you need to do some of the performance based things to clear the space to allow the, the other stuff to work mm-hmm
1: and also I mean you have some short and midterm um, you know ICP leads coming in um, while while it sort of picks up because I mean as you mentioned in the very beginning in the in the beginning probably your um, LinkedIn posts and your videos won't have like the engagement Mm -hmm. that yours have right now. And so, you know, kind of bridging that gap, I think is still, is still important.
0: For SaaS, um, for, for product-based companies, we'll put it that way, mainly SaaS tech, but whatever, the way that you break through this is that you use paid to clear the space for the organic to kick in. And so we use paid to distribute brand marketing content, to distribute Mm -hmm. a video or a press release or um, a product announcement or a case study. No comp, and then ungated, no lead, no call to action. Nobody does that. And when you you use paid to create the system, one, if you're doing it on LinkedIn, you're gonna pick up a ton of followers. Yeah. Um, You're also gonna create a bunch of awareness. And your content team is going to get better at creating content because you need to do it, and so then you use the paid content to distribute on organic while you build an organic pillar or four, um, and that's that's the right way. And then over time, you you're going to rebalance the budget and the focus once you have more traction organic.
1: Can you talk a bit more about that? Because I think that's very important. I mean, because um, this goes basically deep into into strategy, especially when you're starting out. How, like, if I am just starting out and I'm the first marketing hire um, at a startup, like, what do you recommend? Because you mentioned now that, you know, there is some money... Being spent on to clear the space, how you say mm-hmm. uh, while you build the content, so uh, uh, can you go into a bit more detail there and how you actually would spend the first you know ninety days um, setting all of this up
0: yeah, so basically the idea is if you if the first thing that you do in as a marketer as you as you start your podcast and LinkedIn with no following, you will probably get fired before the results play out. And so in order to to move with that, it's actually, I think it's just the smartest way to do it is what would be the first thing you do? If there are high buying intent paid search keywords, you should definitely bid on those first. You should definitely have that figured out first so that when the people are searching for you, they find you. It makes perfect sense. Um, the next thing, which I think is the, the real nuance in this whole strategy is instead of just posting, like if you created that, we created this video and instead of just posting it on LinkedIn when we have no following and get two likes and wait a long time of posting and posting and posting for that to figure it out, why wouldn't you figure out all the people that you wanted to distribute to and just pay in the short term to get it in front of them? Right. It accelerates it, is, yeah. it accelerates the process of allowing the organic to happen um, and that is and then over time you sh- at some point you should hit such a scale that you d- if you're good if the content's good if your targeting's right if it's there if you're the right people like if your message is on point then over time you should actually be able to lower or stop kind of like the the increase in spend in order because the the organic is working so well And we'll do that. Like in 2015 is kind of when I figured this out, Um, we were running Facebook ads targeted at exactly who we wanted to sell to and went from zero followers to 20,000 in the matter of six months. And then our organic started to work. And then obviously Facebook algorithm changed and that it didn't really work out, but the paid was still incredibly underpriced and drove a lot of business results in the short term while we worked on, uh, we had, by the time I left, we had thirty-five high-quality long-form videos that were on our website that we sending out via email that we're chopping up on social mm-hmm. and, and paying to distribute the little micro clips. Um, I, I think it's a because of the way that companies score their paid channels, the, none of nobody does it. And so I just, it seems so obvious to me because I've been doing it for five years, but you look around the world and it's like, oh, we spent a thousand dollars on these LinkedIn ads and we didn't get any leads. It was a failure. I just think is really short sighted.
1: Right. So what you do is you chop up the videos and then you promote the short clips that are, um, top that are around topics that your potential customers really care about?
0: It doesn't have to be videos for that matter. Um, like case study, or um, I love the idea of short form written content. That's actually the ideas are pulled from the videos. Um, it, ta- it takes a lot of work to be able to cold targeted, get someone to consume a video in the feed. Um, and so I found different ways to position the content in order to get someone to engage and short form written is what I'm converging on through paid. Um, mainly through Facebook, we don't do a lot of short form written on LinkedIn just because it's not cost-effective to do it that way. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's how we do it. We did do a lot of brand videos on Facebook in 2016. I'm sure that they have watched other companies do it on LinkedIn and with success. And so like it can work. Um, it's just not, it's not my primary strategy.
1: What? What's your advice for up and coming marketing leaders, or even, you know, peers of yours who, who have the same amount of experience like today? What, like, maybe let me rephrase the question. If you could kind of tell your 20 year old self, past self some advice what would you try to impart um, if I want to be uh, like a modern marketing leader that actually gets results
0: yeah so I think this is for everyone and it's worked really well for me is challenge the things that are happening today and and stop doing the things that don't work like (laughs) Um, And when you stop doing the things that don't work, you would be amazed at how much time and energy and resources and money you have to do the things that do work and the things. And when you have all of those different things and you do the things that do work, they work dramatically better because you're actually focused on them. And so like um, that is, that is essentially what I, what I do. Like I, we, we don't do a lot of things that I know are just like low efficiency or super mature or expensive channels. And we don't use them because it allows us to do the things that we know work the best incredibly well. And I think, um, there are, there are not a lot of marketers that have that mindset.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, most of the time when we get into a company, nowadays it's a lot of the first couple of months is actually just turning off current activities that they're doing i mean it's 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 fascinating you know like there is so much energy spent on like five different social channels but none of them done right and Mm -hmm. just like how you describe it like you do one channel really well and then it starts working that's uh so do you think like if you would have to say like what are some meta skills for a marketing leader today to to acquire or to get better at that kind of helps you do everything else a lot better in your job
0: number one is business acumen business acumen and a in a deep understanding about how all the other functions work. Like I've I find myself a much better strategist and leader because I've developed products before. I know I know the things that it takes to make a hardware or a software product. I know how to create a business case to present to the board about whether or not we should do this. And I've actually killed products before in that same way. Mm -hmm. Um, So being able to understand not only marketing, but also all the other functions and how important they are. Um, I think another one kind of in that same vein is, is having a deep understanding and empathy for sales. Not that you need to be a salesperson, but that you need to understand it. Um, I think that's a big one. The next key one is just being, customer obsessed like being have a understanding about what people actually do um, and how people actually learn and how people actually want to buy which is typically very misaligned with how companies do their marketing um, and then the last one it, well maybe maybe two others the next one is really really understanding how to report with confidence to the board and executives about the things that you're doing and the impact that it's driving. And then lastly, know how to create and distribute content. Like that, know how to to do those things in a way that buyers want and that people engage with, I think is is a skill that a lot of current CMOs don't have
1: how how like what's the the kind of if you build if you would build a marketing team from the ground up for a b2b saas company like how would you distribute obviously it it varies from company to company but let's try to um, generalize as much as possible here but what are the sequence of kind of Jobs you would hire for in order to build up a marketing team. Let's say you are the first marketer, and now you are mm-hmm. tasked with building a team.
0: I've done this, and I give this. A, I give this advice a lot, and so um, for a small team, and let's just for the sake of conversation. Um, actually, let's not. So, it, if we go in this direction, I was going to change the direction and narrow the scope, but I won't. Um, and so, inside of the team what I think that you need and this doesn't need to necessarily be on the marketing team. It can be somewhere else in the organization, but you need a subject matter expert. Mm -hmm. And so if you're selling to CFOs and you got a, you got a bunch of marketers that don't know anything about finance, you're going to have trouble. Um, and so you need, you need a subject matter expert. Um, that one I, in a lot of companies, unless you're selling to marketers or salespeople will probably come from a different function inside of the business. And that's fine. You can just borrow them and and architect it. Um, The next one would be the creator, the person that can write graphic design, shoot video, edit video, those types of things. The next one would be distribution. Um, most companies will segment distribution based on channel. Like we need one person for AdWords and we need one person for Facebook. When you do that, you actually incentivize people to do the wrong things to demonstrate the success in that channel. It's no wonder that people are running only performance marketing on Facebook, which is an awareness channel, not, not a a brand or sorry. It's an awareness channel, not an intent channel, but all of a sudden people are running 100% direct response because they need to prove the ROI of the channel. Um, And so I would just have one person that can distribute content across all the mediums, a good distributor. It's been weird as I think about this because I've started to break up a marketing team into content creation and content distribution. Mm -hmm. And so distribution, email, organic social, paid social, if you want to run like mid like mid funnel, mid intent type keywords on AdWords to, to content pieces, like be my guest, those types of different things, distributor. Um, and then the next one would probably be a product marketer. Yeah. I've and I think that, made, yeah, sorry. No, go ahead.
1: I've actually made this mistake um, early in my career where I solely focused on creating content. And then I kind of, you know, put it out there. And I was not you know, focusing on the distribution part at all, like what? And then I think I read somewhere, you know, spend 30% of your time on actually cre- creating the content, and then 70% on um, on 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 distributing it. Like, what's your take on that? Because you know, you are now saying like, okay, there's a content creation team and a content distribution team, even so. How how do you handle that, especially also when you talk to clients? Because I've seen this as being a notion that is very common out there.
0: Very few people focus on distributing content. And if they are focused on distributing it, they're optimizing it for SEO. And that's it. And so I think that is probably, like, if you really boil it down, like, in essence, what I'm good at um and so so yeah i mean going into companies that um you look on their you, they have five case studies brilliant stories about how companies have had success with their product and you go into google analytics and over the past 6 months 34 people have visited those web pages you know that they can't distribute content <laughs> um companies that build a gated like resource center Um, and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars producing content for that thing and can't get people to even log in, um, companies that you watch and they have 20,000 followers on LinkedIn and post a case study with a link and get two likes and both those people are their employees like those are those are things where people just do it's a clear super clear that people do not understand distribution of content yeah um and if you don't know how to distribute it what's the point of making it
1: Mm -hmm. but it's still i mean it's a it's a tricky thing right because on on the one hand i think it's super important to have kind of a you know, lead measure of saying like, okay, I do one podcast a week or I send one newsletter a week or I mean, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. content you're creating, a blog post, whatever. But then also like, you know, getting into this kind of quantity first, especially if you're starting out versus then also trying to... Um, wrap your head around like distributing it all like what comes first for you because you also need to have would you rather do one podcast every four week or and then taking a lot of time distributing that or would you do it the other way around you know what i mean
0: the the real answer is both and it comes back to focus Mm -hmm. if you don't have enough time to that you can only produce a podcast once every four weeks, then you shouldn't be doing a podcast. You should stop doing other stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really do think that it comes down to focus on this one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to wrap up soon. Um, what kind of education material? I think education is a, is a is a big issue in the in the marketing space today um, because most of the, what's out there is, is pretty much like best practices mm-hmm. and, and, and you know people are copying best practices from, <laughs> exactly from all over the place and like they copy pasting these best practices it's the, and it's the
0: 2011 network. best practices that have been copied into different ebooks and <laughs> exactly. blogs over the past 10 years yeah
1: and 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 i mean google is terrible at at actually surfacing the best content in in in, in my opinion mm-hmm. um, nowadays and so um, at least, if you're not super well versed in 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 Googling. So, what kind of resources, courses, or or even books or people to follow, um, do you recommend? Like, how how do you go about educating your team, or like telling them to educate? Or what, how have you educated?
0: yeah for sure there was'm um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get to that in one second, but there was one point I wanted to get get deeper with you on with, mm-hmm. on the content side, which is is on the metrics of content. And so I think that a lot of companies don't have success with content or don't do it at all because of how they measure it. And so I I get this question a lot from people. It's like, which piece of your content drives the most leads? And the truth is that there's not any one piece. It is a collection of momentum that is created as a brand execution (laughs) over time. Um, And I think a lot of people just misunderstand that which either drives them to do the wrong things with content, i.e., gate it for email addresses, a lead magnet, <laughs> or um either do the wrong things with the content or just not do it, or just not do the content at all and go back to running two hundred thousand dollars a month in Google AdWords because they can measure it. Um and then on the resources side, the things that uh, the things that I do with my team is I I do the things that, that I believe in. And I challenge them to do the things that we believe in as well. So several people inside of our company create content for LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Several people have a podcast show. Mm -hmm. Um, Several people like listen, consume my LinkedIn or our podcast or our guests on our live show or whatever. And people learn through osmosis. I mean, when it comes down to it, and I, put, it's, it's ironic cause I posted about this today. It's like, we do all the things we tell our customers to do. And so like, we know how to, my, our people know how to measure them, know how to explain them, know how to do them. And, and, um, that, that's how we, we learn and get better. So, but for people that are listening here, like really we're getting, I'm getting a ton of, of really strong feedback on the state of demand gen podcast. It's on Apple or Spotify. It's sp- the podcast we put on. It's a mashup of a lot of different content types that, um, that we put out every week, some, somewhere between three and five episodes a week that we're doing. Um, would highly recommend that I get messages about people that have, you know, gotten promoted to head of growth or got a way better job or, um, changed industries or built a, you know, following on LinkedIn of 15,000 people just by following the formula that's laid out there. So if anyone has aspirations to either grow in their career or do something new, would highly recommend you check it out.
1: I can vouch for that as well. Very last question. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked a lot about marketing teams and, you know, growth strategy, um, setting that up. When do I pull in an agency?
0: I think it's a really nuanced question. Um, the things, uh, the th- my my true feeling on this as a business owner is that you don't want to outsource things that are that are very cl- that require strategic understanding of customers. Mm-hmm. So, con- content creation. I I see companies that outsource their like thought leadership. It makes no sense. Uh, It it makes no sense. Um, so there, I, I think, I don't have a clear like answer on that. And it's also like, when you say agency, it can mean anything. Like I, I consider what we do more like a consulting firm like McKinsey. Um, than an agency where you just like buy, buy people for a specific thing. Companies call us all the time and they're like, Hey, we want to spend $35,000 on LinkedIn ads. Can we do 10% ad spend? And I'm like, that's not what we do. Like you want to find someone to go push buttons and get you leads for $80 that don't close, go somewhere else. Like that's not what we do. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that I answer your question, but that's how I feel. <laughs>
1: I think you you touched exactly uh, like what I wanted to hear, which is like, if you want to do content, like especially lead, I mean, thought leadership content, like don't outsource this kind of stuff. I also think like, if you want to get better at like building, you know, systems and you don't um, have, as you mentioned, the business acumen to do so, or, um, you know, you need... Um, jobs in actually building out certain channels where you don't have um, the the expertise and you relied on best practices beforehand it might be it might be a good um yeah i actually have I a, a
0: I got a pretty cool i as i as you were talking i think it formed it's like when you bring and it, and it really again it depends on who you're bringing in like that really matters but i think the right time to bring someone is when you when you need to accelerate change like you need to get some mm, I like that. you can try and do it yourself and it's going to take you 18 months you can have someone come in and help you and it's going to take three months it's up to you yeah but over time, what I found is that is that the is speed is important, like opportunity cost is huge, um, and I don't think a lot of companies factor that in when they make budgeting decisions.
1: Thank you very much, Chris. It was a super interesting. yeah, this is a uh,
0: blast. Thanks for having me
1: discussion. Thank you very much for your sage advice and um, <laughs> I'll hope you put out a lot more of those um, videos and then also uh, where can people find you? You mentioned the podcast. Um, what's the uh, the URL people can go to or just straight up on Spotify?
0: Yeah, uh, Spotify or Apple. It's called State of Demand Gen. It's the podcast or um, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I put out the micro clips and I usually link to the podcast in my posts.
1: Yeah. Once you follow him, you see him all over. I promise you.
0: All right. All right. Cheers, Chris, see you. thank you, you very much. Again soon. Have a good one. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Thank you very Bye. much. Bye.